We're right in the middle of a, of a series on the book in the Bible called Galatians. So you're kind of coming in very much in the middle of something. Um, but hopefully, hopefully the message will stand alone and, and, and will help you in some way. If, if the two greatest commandments are love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul and strength. And, and love your neighbor as you love yourself then the two biggest issues in life we've got to work out is how can I be reconciled to God and how can I be reconciled to my neighbor? Because simply to go through religious activity is not loving God and simply to tolerate other people is not loving people. If I'm going to love God and love people, I need to be reconciled to God. It needs to be a genuine relationship with him and I need to be reconciled to people. These are the issues that I've got to, these are the main issues of life. These are, the, these, these are the most important things in life that I need to grapple with. How I can be reconciled to God and walk in that. And how I can be reconciled to others and walk in that so I can love. Because that's what I'm made to do. That's what I'm here for. I'm here to walk in the love of God and reflect that out back to him and to others. That is, my, uh, that is the purpose of my existence. Um, so we've got to grapple with that. Galatians grapples with it brilliantly from a, a particular angle. And here's why. In, in the time of history before Jesus came, God chose the Jewish people. And he gave them some very special treatment. He made a covenant with them. He rescued them out of Egypt where they were slaves. He gave them beautiful laws to live by. He pledged himself to them as his God and that they would be his people. He gave them a land, a beautiful, fertile land to live in and to enjoy. He blessed them and he promised to go on blessing them, blessing them, blessing them. The whole idea was, was that they would be a light to the nations in, in the sense that they would so be full of God's light living with him that the other nations would look on and say, wow, what is it about you? They would then point to God and those nations would come to know God and the result would be that the nations of the earth would come to know God. The earth would be filled with God's glory. That was the plan. That didn't happen like that. Instead, what happened was this. Among other things, the Jewish people became proud and they began to lean on their privileged position and look down on the other nations. And it got to the point where the Jews would call the Gentiles Gentile dogs and they wouldn't eat with them and they would uh, uh, keep themselves aloof. And what happened was something strange happened whereby God did say you're to be holy, but they, they went from that to being holier than thou. From seeing themselves as better from, and, and looking down in it with a superior kind of mentality. It went very, very wrong at the heart of it is pride, which is at the heart of a lot of things. Now what we need to understand is this is that for the Jews it was this whole idea of the law. That they had the law and the covenants. They had things, circumcision, which you think, oh, big deal. But to them they were really proud of it because it was, their, uh, it was the mark. You know, the men had this mark and it was the mark that they were God's covenant people. And it was a patriarchal society, so only the men had the mark. But everyone was included in it, male and female, figuratively speaking. It was, it was, they, they were marked by God. And they took great pride in that. And they had these various commandments. But it's interesting point is this. Although the law was given specifically to them and they were God's chosen people and all of that. And even though through that they turned they turn proud and arrogant and aloof. And even though us as Gentiles, most of us here are not Jews. There may be one or two. Most of us are Gentiles. We don't have that history with God. We don't have that law, that covenant. We don't have any of that. 
And yet, very, very often, we still struggle in the same areas in the sense that we look down on other people. We consider ourselves to be better. If you're English, you can have often an attitude towards the mainland Europe or towards the Scottish. If the Scottish to the English, if you've got ginger hair, can be a problem. Yeah, gingerism. Body shape, you name it. Boys are better than girls, girls are better than boys. Tribalism. We're all the same. It may not be the Jewish law, but actually the, those Jewish people are a bit of a type. They're a bit of a paradigm for really all of us. We tend to think that we're, we're a bit better than whoever's different from how we are. And this is really key that we understand that at the heart of it, you find this big old knobbly root called pride. Whether it's about Jewish law or about being British and not European or whatever it might be. It's pride. And the story of Galatians speaks uh, significantly into that because as, as we know from what we've been looking at is that we've got a church here in Galatia made up primarily of Gentiles and then a load of Gentiles are non-Jews and then some Jewish believers coming into that church and saying okay so you're Christians you believed in Christ great but if you really want to be part of God's people, believing in Christ is not enough. You've also got to become a Jew. You need to be circumcised and live under the law of Moses. You need to observe the, our special law with all of the dietary requirements and everything else. If you're really going to be the people of God, because the Jews are the people of God. And then the apostle Paul, who had started this church in Galatia, but moved on. He hears what's happening. He hears about all of these Gentile Christians turning, becoming Jews because they think, well, we've got to become Jews as well if we're going to be God's people. And so he writes the letter saying, no, 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 no. And the reason why he's saying no, 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 is this. If you add anything to Jesus, anything to what Jesus has done, in order to make yourself feel right with God, if you add anything to what Jesus has done, you are fundamentally saying, Jesus, what you've done is not enough. You're saying that Jesus' work is insufficient. And that's the heart of this letter. The situation we're looking at today is a very tense situation. Another apostle, another leader called Peter, who's a Jewish leader, has gone to Antioch. And at Antioch, it's mostly Gentiles, mostly non-Jewish um, Christians. He's just... He's understood the gospel. He understands the fact that in Christ, everyone is brought together. All the walls come down between Jew and Gentile, black and white, old and young, rich and poor. And so he's having a wonderful time eating with the Gentiles and just living. They're all together in Christ. Some Jewish, these Jewish Christians um, come into Antioch. And Peter is suddenly scared. He knows these Jews are going to have issues with him as a Jew, eating with Gentiles. And so he backs off and separates himself from the Jews. And Paul is writing about when he confronts Peter for this action. And remember, we looked at it last week. And this week, we're going to unpack verse by verse Paul's confrontation with Peter. Okay, This is um, uh, a step-by-step guide in terms of how to help someone who's really not understood the gospel. So we're going to put the scripture up here, going to read it. Um, and here we go. Now listen, in the Bible, you see the speech marks there at the bottom of the first paragraph. Yeah? Okay, I don't think they should be there. In the Greek, there aren't any speech marks. So when people translate the Bible into English, they have to guess when the, when the speech finishes. I think the speech goes right down to the end of the chapter. Clearly, the speech does not continue at the start of chapter 3, because Paul there is no longer addressing Peter. He's addre- he says, oh, foolish Galatians. He's talking to the Galatians. But I think the whole of this chapter is Paul's correction 
of Peter's hypocrisy. So just to say, that's why I'm going to, I'm going to treat it that way. Okay, so anyone got a Bible with them? Okay, Galatians chapter 2. Let's read from verse 14 to the end of the chapter and then just dissect it. It's a bit unusual. Last week it was big picture. This week we're going to look at some detail. When I saw that there, that's Peter and Barnabas' conduct, was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth. We're not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too would be to found, were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let's pray. (laughs) Father, please help us with this text. It's complicated. So please help us to unravel it and get the meaning of it in our hearts. I pray, Lord, from the quickest to, to, to the slowest of us, help us understand it. From the most academic to the least academic, help us get it. Grip our hearts with this message, I pray. It wouldn't just be an exercise in um, textual um, unraveling. It would be an exercise in meeting with God, I pray. Touch our hearts through these words, please, Lord. Amen. This, this is a tough, this is a tightly, this is Paul. Even Peter, in one of his letters, says that Paul's letters are hard to understand. All right? So if you understand, find Paul hard to understand, don't worry. Peter does as well. Okay? So this is Paul. It's how Paul talks. Why use one word when you can use a thousand? That's Paul. You know? He's a bit like me, just really clever. Okay? Talks a lot, but a massive, massive intellect. So I'm going to just go through verse by verse. Is that okay? Yeah, so I might be a bit more tied to my notes than normal because I'm really just going to try and help you understand what is he actually saying here. It starts off pretty easy, then it gets a bit funny in the middle. Okay, verse 14. When I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel because Peter had separated himself from Gentiles, whereas the gospel teaches in Christ, we're all one. So it wasn't in truth with with the gospel. Uh, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew... Live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? That's quite easy. What you're saying is is this. Peter, you are being so illogical. You are a Jew and yet you are eating with Gentiles, which means straight away you're not living like a Jew because Jews aren't supposed to. So you're living like a Gentile yourself. You've understood that this gospel means that whatever we bring of our background, it becomes secondary to Christ. You do bring your background... But it's secondary to Jesus and what he's done. Yeah? So Peter's understood that. He's understood that God has welcomed these Gentiles. And so Peter's like, well, how can I not welcome them? God has welcomed them. So he's eating with them. He's fellowshipping with them. He's living like a Gentile. 
And yet now he's separated himself and he's sided with these people that are saying to the Gentiles, become Jews. So Paul's saying, you are being utterly inconsistent even with yourself. You understand that? Great. Verse 15. He goes on to say, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. (laughs) That sounds a bit, sounds a bit arrogant to you. What's he saying there? What he's saying there is this. He's acknowledging there is a difference between Jew and Gentile by birth. Hi there. Could does someone want to just help this family um, find some seats and also um, for the child to be well, uh, settled in wherever would help? Great. Um, verse 15, sorry. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Who is a Gentile? Who is not a Jew? Put your hand up. Okay. You sinners. What's he, what's he mean? I thought the Bible taught we're all sinners. What is, what's this talking about? Here's what it's talking about. The Jewish mentality was this. Is that basically if you've got the law, you're okay with God. That was basically their understanding. If you've got the law, then you're not, you're not away from God. You've got the law. You're in with God. You're one of God's people because you're a Jew. They understood that they, they had as kind of polar ends, if you like, they saw sinning sinners as lawbreakers or as those who have no respect for the law, no regard for the law. And so they saw themselves as we've got the law. If you don't have the law, if you're not a Jew, you're a sinner. You're separate from God because in their understanding to have the law meant you had God. We'll see where they, where they got that wrong as we, as we go through. But that was their understanding. Now, there's a sense in which it's not right, but actually there is something to acknowledge here. Jews have a history with God that Gentiles don't. So, Jews, what have the Jews got? The Jews have got Abraham and Moses and all those guys. The Jews have got the law. That was given to them. The Ten Commandments weren't given to us Gentiles. It's given to the Jews. That wasn't given to us. The Jews have got the land. The Jews have got the various covenants. We are different from the Jews in one sense. If you like, you could describe it, if you wanted to, as an advantage. They have a history with God. Gentiles don't. We're different. For the Jews, it was a point of pride. That's the problem. For the Jews, they felt that as a result of this history, they were automatically right with God and automatically better than others. But the question is this. What's the point of pride for you? You may not have Abraham, Moses, and all of that. But what have you got? Imagine you've got a jacket on and you've got a lapel. And on it you used to put a badge, which was the, the one main thing that when it's going tough, you look at it and you're like, yeah, but I've got this. What is it for you? Is it your looks? There's some pretty, there's some pretty good looking people in this church. There's some pretty handsome, handsome types pretty ones is it your looks that we know when when it's just going rough a quick glance in the mirror things aren't so bad (laughs) is it your talents there's a certain talent that you have and you excel and so when it's rough you can think back to that thing I do that I always do better than others I always win at what's your badge so I'm asking you, what is it? Is it your stock? 
You come from a you come from good stock. There are people in your family line. If 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 people knew who I was related to, they'd treat me different. Is it your stock? Is it your brain? You have to wear corks in your ears to just stop them coming out. It's so big. You can you can you can solve anything. You know, and you're you're always one step ahead. You're always one step ahead of others because they're a bit slow. Is it your wit? Is it your charm? Is it your business savvy? What is it? What is it? What's your boast? Because we've all got one. We've all got something that naturally we're tempted to lean into. It might not be the Jewish stuff, but it's something, and it can even make you feel like, at the end of the day, in a subtle kind of way, you can feel like, well, God gave me it, so I guess maybe I'm kind of special. Maybe I wouldn't say it, but maybe I'm kind of special. (laughs) You get an insight into my head here, aren't you? It's terrible. I'm giving more away about myself than anything else. And then you can always be a bit tempted to just, just slightly maybe sometimes put yourself in a different category from others. Just, you know, it's subtle, but it's like, okay. What's your boast? What's your badge? Paul says, for us Jews, it's this. This is what it is. We've got this history in God. We've got the law. Verse 16. And yet, you've got your looks. And yet, you've got your talents, and yet, and yet, there's always this and yet. Yet we know that a person isn't justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus. So we believed in Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. And not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. It's the most convoluted sentence you can imagine. He says the same thing three times. He's saying, listen, yes, we're different, but we're the same. That's what he's saying. We're different, but when it comes to our standing before God, actually, do you know what? We're all in the same boat. We're all in the same sticky situation, all of us. Yes, you're different. Yes, different experiences, different temperament. I mean, there are very different people in life. But when it comes down to it, and we're all stood before the throne of God, you know what? We are all in exactly the same situation. None of those things can justify us before God. None of them will cause God's heart to be moved in such a way that he welcomes you into his presence. No. And, and actually none of them, none of them legitimately place you in a different category from anyone else. You are fundamentally in the same boat. And so what Paul is doing, he's getting hold of Peter's lapel and he's undoing the badge. And he's saying, let's just, let's get that off, shall we? Because this is not how it works. Verse 17. These next two verses are the tricky ones. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. (laughs) What does he mean? What he's saying is this. Peter, as Jews, if we then 
look to Christ to be justified, we realize, you know what? We can't be justified by the law. So we go to Christ together and we say, you know what? Even though we are Jews, we recognize this law is not going to make us right before God. So we, but we recognize that in sending Jesus, God has made a way for us to be right with him as a gift. So we go to Christ. If as we do that, we too are found to be sinners. We too realize we're just like the Gentiles. We realize, oh man, when you come to Christ, you know what happens when you come to Christ? When you come to Christ, you realize what you are. (laughs) And it's frightening. And it can be a little bit depressing. Because when you come to Christ, when when you come to Jesus to make you right with God, what you're doing is this, is that you are walking away from every badge Everything you might boast in, everything that just makes you feel that little bit better than you, about yourself and a little bit better than everyone else. And you're leaving it and you're saying, Jesus, I need you and you alone to make me right before God, because without you, I am lost. And in that process, you realize what you are. If you're a Jew, you realize I'm just like the Gentiles. I've got all this history with God and it's got me nowhere because my heart is just as rotten as the Gentiles. And if you're a Gentile, whatever your boast was, you realize this isn't going to get me anywhere. Now, if in that process, you then realize this about yourself, Paul is saying to Peter, we realize that we're sinners. He says, is Christ then a servant of sin? What he's suggesting there is this. When this process happens, it's almost like Christ has made this whole thing get worse. Christ, Christ doing what he has done, has re- it seems like he's really just highlighted and kind of just brought to the fore all this muck and all this sin. So you're there as a Jew. You were doing fine before Jesus came. You had the law. You was all right. Now Jesus has come and died on the cross. It's like, I've got to get right with God by the cross. You come and then you realize what you are. You think, oh my God. Goodness, I thought I was okay. But look, look, I've realized if the Son of God had to die on a cross for my sin, what must I be? What must I be? And it's almost like Jesus has just kind of brought in a whole load of sin. Paul is saying, that's what it can feel like. Is that, what, is that what's going on here? He says, certainly not. He said, that's not what's happened. What's happened is this. You've just seen the reality of the situation. Jesus hasn't made it any worse. But in coming to Christ, you've been exposed and you realize, ah, this is what I am. You realize your corruption. You realize the way you deceive yourself, justify yourself, defend yourself. You realize the depths of sin in your heart. You realize how much you stand on your reputation, what others think of you and all these things. And you realize, gosh, this is what I am. And it can, you can be led to think, Jesus, you've messed the whole thing up. Yeah? It's like, no, he's lifted the lid. It was always there. He's lifted the lid and it's like, boom. And you're like, oh, great. But it doesn't make Jesus a servant of sin. Jesus is now going to deal with the sin. Verse 18. Still with me? Okay. Verse 18. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. <laughs> I mean, I think this is what it means. Okay? I'll just be honest with you now. I think this is what it means. This makes sense and it fits with the flow. So I'm going with this. 
But, you know, Paul didn't make a comment on his own his star. This is what I mean. He didn't say that. So this is what we've got, okay? If I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. He's talking about a Jew in the process of looking to be justified in Christ. Yeah? That's what he's done in verse 17. That's, that's what's going on. And then discovering sin and all the filth of it and just what they really are in their heart and the temptation to think Jesus has made it worse. Then he says, if I rebuild what I tore down. If I'm a Jew, I'm coming to Jesus to be justified. I suddenly realize what a mess I am. There's a a very, very real temptation to suddenly start rebuilding that wall between Jews and Gentiles, rebuilding this whole law thing, because this grace thing is messy. And this grace thing is showing me that I'm pretty messed up and I don't like that. So I'm going to now start trying to rebuild this whole law thing because it's much neater and tidier. Yeah. And I haven't got to face myself. I haven't got to actually bring what I am before God and see myself for what I am. If I rebuild what I, what I tore down, that legalistic way of living, I prove myself to be a, transgress, a transgressor. How? If I start to rebuild that legalistic thing as a Jew, I'm showing what I really am. Which is not just a sinner, it's a proud sinner. I'm not just a sinner, but when I see my sin, I hate it so much Rather than repent of it, I, I, it just makes me feel with such dread that I should be like this. That instead, what I'm going to do is, I'm going to go back to legalism. I'm showing, oh, you're not just a vile sinner. You're a respectable vile sinner. They're the worst. Because they're the Pharisees. They're the hypocrites. They're the pretenders. Those who just act respectable and act like they're nice people. Let me tell you, this church is not a group of nice people that have come together to be nice together. It's not. If that's what you think we are, you've, un- you've misunderstood what we are. That is not what we are. <laughs> We're not just a bunch of nice people. We're a bunch of rotten sinners that have found grace and mercy in Christ. And he has renewed us and is renewing us. But it's a messy business. That's what we are. That's what it is. When I come to be justified in Christ, I realize something when I see myself for what I am. Not just, not just the trouble I'm in with God. I also realize this. All the people that I've most hated and most judged, I realize they're no worse than me. That, that particular race that get under my skin, I realize they're no worse than me. That particular neighbor who winds me up with his petty concern over his hedge or over his car or over this. He winds me up. He's no worse than me with my petty concern about my beard or whatever it is. Nonsense. Yeah? Do you see what I'm saying? You realize, oh, look. How can I how can I look at that person as if I'm on higher ground? I've just realized what I am before God. Then we have verse 19, which again is like, what? But we're good from verse 20 onwards, so stick with me. Verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Paul is saying this. 
through the law. When you go through something, it's the vehicle, uh, it's the thing through which you travel, it's the medium through which you travel. So I went through the Blackwall Tunnel. That means that the Blackwall Tunnel was the thing that I kind of got me somewhere, okay? That was the, 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 the process and the journey was the Blackwall Tunnel. So Paul is saying this law, this whole law thing is actually taking me on a journey through the law, through trying to live this legalistic life, through understanding and coming to terms with really what the law means, I've died to the law. In what sense? In the sense that I've realized this is not going to work. I've got the law, I've got the Ten Commandments, but I am messing up. Do not commit adultery. I've committed adultery. Do not cover, do not want what someone else has got so much so that you lose your peace in your heart. I've done that. Do not steal. I've done that. This is, this is terrible. This law, which I thought, oh, I'm doing okay because I've got the law. I've realized, oh, I've got to keep the law. And now I'm seeing myself in the light of that. There's only one thing I can do, and that is die to the law. I can, I can no longer go through this, go through the motions of trying to pretend that, oh, it's okay. You know, I've got the law. I realize I'm messing up the whole time, but it's, I can't do that anymore. You know what? There's only one thing for me that's going to work, and that's if I can be slain in some way. In some way, I can just die to this whole thing because it's killing me anyway before God. I need to die. It's the same for the Gentile. With whatever your badge is, whatever your boasting is, you see it. If it is your looks, through my looks, through this whole way of living where I build my confidence on how I look cosmetically, externally, I just realize what a joke. How vain. How idolatrous I am. I need help. I need to die to that. If it's my stock, my background, where I've come from, I realize, what am I doing? What is this proud, puffed up approach to life? Through journeying through that and then seeing God and his glory and beauty and holiness and love and giving his only son, I think, oh my goodness, what is this? I need to die to that. Why? So I can live to God. So I can actually come alive to God. I can't bring that into a relationship with God. It's, gonna, it's just going to be a nightmare. Trying to walk with God and yet finding my boast in these crazy, idolatrous things. I need to die to that so I can live to him. And then we get this incredible, this incredible statement. This is verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is now saying, this is my story. This is, my, this is the story of my life now. Now, bear in mind, Paul was the most successful Jew you could imagine. We're told in Philippians 3 that when it comes to legalistic righteousness, he was perfect. He kept every law. He did everything. He was, he was an example of Jewish perfection. And yet it led, when the Messiah came, when the promised one came, he didn't recognize him. He was blind to it. He encouraged people to kill Jesus' followers. He, did, he was completely deceived. All of this legalistic perfection led him to a place of blind, murderous pride. So he says, that is no longer my story, and I'm going to consider it rubbish compared to knowing Christ. This is now my story. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. That's the, that, that is the story of the believer. What was your badge? What was your boast? And you say, Do you know what? Rubbish compared to him. 
It's not that you say that that isn't your background or that isn't what you... Of course, yes, your life is your life. You are who you are. But it's no longer the thing that you lean on and that you find comfort in and that you find solace in when your world around you is falling. You say, no, I'm dying to that and I'm going to look to Jesus. Functional saviour, not just theoretical saviour. My comfort, my hope, my life, my identity. That which gives me strength when I'm broken. That which gives me joy when I'm under the heaviness of darkness. Jesus. That's, that is the believer's confession. And then this final verse. I do not nullify the grace of God. I am not going to take what God has given me in Jesus Christ and nullify it by trying to build my own little thing. By trying to make my own, my own self righteous. For if righteousness were through the law, Christ died for no purpose. We end at the cross. Whenever you begin to wear your badge as a believer, but it doesn't say Jesus, it says something else. What you are shouting out to the rooftops is this. Christ died in vain. Jesus' death was not enough. I will construct something for myself that will make me feel better about myself. And the whole time you're spitting on Jesus. And you're saying that is not enough. Or that was vain. Or that was for no purpose. Or that was insufficient. When actually that is the most incredible thing that has ever happened on planet earth. That is the son of God laying down his life for wretches like us so that we could really be saved really be forgiven really be made right with God as a gift that's what grace means generous gift undeserved favor will you nullify that I want to plead with you not to don't nullify that by the by 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 living leaning on anything else lean on Jesus lean on Christ find his sufficiency for your soul For those of you that don't know Jesus, today you have an opportunity to take off that badge or your badges and say, I'm going for Jesus. I'm going for Jesus. For those of us who do know Jesus, I think we do need to keep a close eye on our lapels. I don't know about you, I do. Just check it. Okay, still says Jesus. Okay. Because it can be a subtle thing. You can just come in. I want to conclude with just saying a few things. When we get this, we understand. Number one, I'm a type A sinner. (laughs) All right? I am a type A sinner. Yeah? Can you say that? (laughs) It's important that you can say that with your hand on your heart, that you've seen and understood yourself. doesn't mean that you're not nice. Some people are nice by temperament. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that we are an offense to God. Naturally, a complete offense. The wrath of God abides on us by nature. We are type A sinners. As I admit that and look to Jesus, that holy, awesome God declares me righteous as a gift because of the cross. He looks down on this type A sinner and before all of heaven and earth and hell, he declares you are right with me. You are my child. I welcome you. You think, how did that happen? He gave himself for my sins. He did it. As I live in that place, not hiding, not posturing, not pretending, 
But I live in that place of just being, this is what I am. And I live in that place before God, just being who I am, and before others, who I am. As I live in that place, no more hiding, no more posturing, no more trying to make myself appear a certain way. I can have a relationship with God, and you know what? I can have a relationship with anyone. (laughs) Anyone. Why? Because the gospel truth levels us. It levels us. If you're one of those people that gets really into kind of either superiority or inferiority, it's a nonsense. We've all been leveled by the gospel. We've all been leveled by the gospel. So I can, I, I, I will gladly fellowship with anyone who calls Jesus their Lord. I don't care what their background is, temperament, age, gender, color. I, don't, I, I do not care. And I will gladly love anyone on the planet regardless of those things. But in Christ, I will hold out the right hand of fellowship to anyone. Why? We've been leveled by the gospel. That's what we are. The Lord wants to help some of us now. I believe some of us today struggle with racial pride. Racial pride. The Lord wants to just help you take that badge off. And for, you know, if you're brought up in, in that kind of environment, and it can be really subtle, it's, it's just very often it's not even conscious. It's just just kind of an assumption. The Lord wants to help you see it's deception. It's deception. The gospel shows us that. He wants to really help us, I believe, today. I believe the Lord wants to help us say this. With Jesus, I have everything. And without him, I have nothing. That's the place where he wants to get us. And and there's some wonderful things in life. I enjoy many wonderful things. I love God's creation and all of that. So I'm not trying to promote some strange way of living, you know, where, I don't know, you know, if you're not praying, you're doing something wrong. It's not, it's not what I'm saying. But fundamentally, when you, when you distill the whole thing down, with Jesus, I have everything. I have reconciliation with God, reconciliation with others. Therefore, I can learn to love him and learn to love others. Without him, I don't. I'm lost. And those of us here that would call us ourselves Christians, followers of Christ. I want to just ask you, even as we sing now and break bread now, I want to ask you at some point to just say this to the Lord. Jesus, with you, I have everything. Without you, I have nothing. And then if you say it and you think, God, that felt a bit hollow, say it again. Meditate on it. Meditate means mutter. Chew it over. Get it, and then find. And if, if there are elements in your heart that resist that, ask, "What is it in me that's resisting it?" And let God work this amazing truth into your heart. This is gospel freedom. If you have Christ, you are rich. You are so, so rich. And without Him, you're in a place of serious poverty that He wants to rescue you from, so you can be rich. Amen.